0: In a few moments, Tom Dinjili is going to take us into a hidden view of a simulation center, the Peter M. Winter Institute for Simulation, Education and Research, WISER for short. Tom is the director of operations there. He's been working in the field for the past 24 years, perhaps a little bit more. And it's really a fascinating look into this world. I have to say for the past year, I've been researching surgery and um, virtual reality working and interviewing uh, with different um, physicians and, and neurologists and surgeons basically in the field and it's been very impressive to see the high-end um, the, the um, technology the high-tech world that exists in simulation but i've also been wondering about the counterpart what about the low-tech environment what could we be achieving or doing Um, with perhaps more tangible things, things that we can touch and see, and physical spaces where we can move that perhaps complement what VR technology can do today. So Tom is showing us around. You're listening to Healthcare Focus, and I'm your host, Karina Paraskev. Healthcare Focus is the podcast where we follow healthcare news and industry research so you don't have to. So thank you for having us, Tom. Now, you just did a little guided tour for me in the facility, and I have to say I'm very impressed because there's really not just one type of mannequin, there's really like a whole range. Can you, for our listeners that have never really been in a center like this, talk a little bit about what you find behind the doors?
1: Sure. So when a center like this is, I feel, valuable to uh, not only the healthcare providers who come here and practice, but also the patients who they are performing the procedures on. Um, So um, our center consists of a lot of different uh, training modalities uh, that range from very basic skills like CPR to very advanced skills like surgical training. Um, And when you get through the doors here, part of our job is to make sure that we identify a learning opportunity and we match that up with the appropriate simulators we have. So just like in the flight industry, when pilots get behind the, uh, in the flight simulator and and practice, they're not practicing normal things, they're practicing things that may go wrong or things that could be a complication and they try to address it before it becomes a problem. Um, We use this center for very similar things. We try to train for things that are rare, Um, or things that have horrible outcomes if they're not trained appropriately. Um, But what's unique about us is that we also do train for the basic things. So if someone's learning how to do a suture for the first time or how to put a cast on someone or how to read an x-ray, they do it here. Um, and then we get very advanced. So if you are a cardiothoracic surgery resident, you would learn how to do a coronary anastomosis here, which uh, in layman's terms, it's working on the heart and, and doing stuff with the vessels. Um, so, so we have a wide range of things here, and our, our uh, trainers range from um, neonatal preemie uh, babies all the way through to geriatric patients.
0: How do you uh, think hospitals think this through when they approach you and they work with you there's such a wide range of services they could you know tackle how do they know that this is really the right training for me
1: yeah so sometimes it's not the right training and and I think what we have to do is is be very thoughtful of that when someone walks through the door um because maybe and we talked about this in our our walking tour but you know sometimes if teaching someone how to do an injection if an orange is the easiest thing to do, then go buy a bag of oranges. You don't need our training center. Um, But there are other times where if we want to do an assessment of someone and starting that IV is within or doing that injection is within a bigger picture of patient care, then you probably do need our center to evaluate those things. So our role before any training even gets started, is to really help that person who comes through the door with a training need, identify what they should be doing and what they should be doing it with. Um, And there are times where um, uh, some of our programs are purely web-based, so no one needs to come here. There are other times where our programs actually go to the hospitals, so they don't come here, we go to them. And then there are times where they come here, For training and our job is to really help them identify that and training could consist of uh, procedural things that they want to work on before they do them for the first time on a patient Um, or uh, training could consist of patient safety initiatives so if you look across the country um, where are patients getting hurt and what can we do here at this center to help reduce those problems or prevent them before they even happen in this region um, and uh, sometimes we look at efficiencies in training. So if we can reduce the training time of a healthcare provider and actually assure that that provider has had a, a structured uh, orientation program where they may have seen the patient a few times that they're gonna actually be working on before they go work on them, um, then we do that as well.
0: That's very interesting. So that means your team is probably multidisciplinary because what you're you're getting at is that you have an understanding also of what happens in hospital and what are those trends uh, that, that merit attention. On the yeah. Market,
1: so to speak. Yeah. We're very unique here. Um, and what makes us unique is that um, we have evolved into uh, curriculum development, education, training, assessment, expertise. And from our perspective, anyone could walk through the door here. Trauma surgeon, operating room nurse, pharmacist, respiratory therapist, paramedic, um, and we could work with them to develop their programs. So our team has evolved into the training and simulation experts and curriculum design and not try to get so domain-specific that we only work with one particular group because that's all we have here.
0: I'm very curious to know, does it happen that you get multidisciplinary teams that come as a, to train, or do people train as their function, so all surgeons together, all nurses together, and so on?
1: So yes and yes. <laughs> um, so many times um, we will have um, just particular groups come down. Uh, And the reason for it is maybe that training is so unique to that group that no one else really needs to be involved in it. But we do have team training programs as well. So in in hospitals, when someone has a medical emergency, if you're laying in your hospital bed and you have a heart attack, um, there's a special team they call to respond. And we train those teams here. Um, We train trauma teams, which consist of trauma surgeons and anesthesiologists and and nurses and residents and respiratory therapists and pharmacists. Um, They train here, or we train with them in the particular hospitals. So there are team training programs that we do, but there are also very domain-specific training programs that teams really don't Um, It's not applicable for the team at that time.
0: Right. And so I'm guessing there's also a corresponding range. You have the skills themselves, which you need to know how to place the needle, how to use that equipment. And you probably have team dynamics that are completely at the other end of the spectrum where you could not train a single individual. right? Right.
1: Right. And one of the things that's important to us is there's a lot of decision making that goes up to the point where you need to do that procedure so we could train everybody on how to do procedures the secret is to know when to do that procedure and when not to do that procedure so part of that training from our perspective is making sure we educate the providers to know okay now it's time to do the procedure that's one particular type of training and then the second part of the training is now go do the procedure Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last part of it is to verify that the procedure was done successfully whatever means it is, an x-ray, lab work, a picture, whatever. But part of our role is to make sure they know when to do it or when not to do it. They can do it appropriately, and they verify that it was done appropriately.
0: Are there things that appear in medicine that require you to add something to a curriculum, for example, tools or techniques that didn't exist before? Or is medicine such an old field that we, we know the scope there
1: well the 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 neat part is the human body hasn't changed much in the past hundred years um so that's okay the the disease pathologies are a lot more complicated now and we're a lot smarter with with how we approach those things um the the technology around it and the diagnostics the diagnostic tools that are used are uh that's what's changed a lot so the ability to utilize those tools to interpret those, the data that they're giving you and to do something with them. Um, and then, you know, with the creation of laparoscopic things, now big long procedures or big long incisions are going away and things are more um, just small band-aid size incisions when people leave. Um, so a, a, a lot of things we have to to change. And then there's constant change of equipment and hospital protocols and policies and government regulations that occur weekly, monthly, yearly that we have to work with the hospitals to make sure that everyone's trained appropriately for.
0: So that's very interesting because I imagine different systems uh, roll out different innovations at different paces. Does that mean a center like yours has to maintain both legacy systems and entering new ones?
1: Yeah so uh, one of the things to to learn about our our center itself, if you just talk about these four walls. Um, so we we have a certain core set of um, equipment here. and then if there are new things that that come out or if there are new um, medications, so we rely on the people who are coming here to use that those particular things to actually bring that with them um, until it's time for us to upgrade from legacy to the new one um, because we want to make sure that we don't make a purchase where um, people realize that it wasn't necessarily the best defibrillator to use or a medical device so because things are expensive Uh, so we have a good working relationship with the hospitals and then the the vendors in the industry who who, through some uh, educational grants, will, will loan us equipment for a particular course or a procedure, um, and then they take it back when they're done. Yeah, so. So,
0: yeah the ecosystem is a really great
1: uh, solution. There. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it allows us to crawl instead of sprint when the rest of the world is, is sprinting. So, yeah.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this idea of technology. Um, I'm looking, there's a lot of things, some are low-tech, low, low tech. like you mentioned you can do something with an orange, or you can do something very sophisticated uh, with a mannequin, yeah. or even have like ultrasounds in the other room. Um, I'm curious to know in marketing, for example, we always say that if something is too realistic, sometimes the shock value um, it makes the person immune to that uh, thing you're you're trying to promote. So, for example, crash accidents, if it's too realistic, people are not going to put their seatbelts on. So there's a fine line where we're trying to make something realistic enough that people buy into it but not too much so they don't disconnect emotionally is that something that we keep in mind when we're doing simulations as well yeah we do
1: and and that's something that we try very hard to it's a it's a fine line right does it need to look like an operating room you know does if it's a trauma room should it look exactly like the trauma room that you work in um and all of that we call that fidelity so in, in in our world, fidelity is a combination of things. So you have to think about what the level of the learner is and then what is the appropriate equipment and what should the environment look like? And at the end of the day, if you match all of that up correctly, then you have the appropriate fidelity for that particular training session. And. We sometimes people come here and they ask us about moulage and, you know, why don't our simulators, aren't they covered in makeup and, you know, and it, it's a lot of times it's because the learning objectives just aren't appropriate for that. So if this, as an example, if it was someone who was in a street fight and needed their eye swelled and, and, and a cut above their eye and all that, and that was relevant to the learning objectives, then we would do that but most of the courses that we do here they're focused on other things it's a cardiac patient or it's a you know something else someone who has an asthma or pneumonia or so we, so we try to match up just the appropriate level of fidelity
0: does that help? I would imagine it might, um, the idea of information overwhelm. Because I'm, I'm imagining for a surgeon or a physician doing a procedure, you have a lot of details and things going on at the same time, and to zone in on what is important and what doesn't matter is probably a learning in itself. Yeah. Uh, when I'm looking at those mannequins, I'm thinking that's that's great if you can match just what they need, because then that's where the focus is, right? Right.
1: And, And there are times where you want to challenge someone. So if you are in training and you are about to graduate, so technically at that point, we should be able to challenge you as if you were a first year, whatever it is you were graduating from. Um, If it was your first year as a student, we probably wouldn't fill the room with all the equipment and the distractions and the varieties of equipment because it doesn't match the level of the learner. So we have to be very cognizant of, of, what level this person is and what are the objectives we're trying to achieve. Because if I want you to go in a room and examine the patient and realize they need oxygen and you go over to a cart and you open the drawer and there's 10 10 different oxygen masks there. The only time I would do that is if I wanted to test, do you know the appropriate oxygen mask to put on this patient at that time? If I... If I if I just want to if I want you to realize the patient needs oxygen and to give them oxygen, then I would just put one mask in there because it's it doesn't matter. So um, and that's hard for people to grab that uh, grasp that concept, because um, what happens is they just they'll just say, oh, put the crash cart in the room. But it's a second-year medical student, and if they go over and open the crash cart, there's a hundred drugs. The second drawer has 20 different types of, of IV tubings, and, and so the equipment may not match the learning objectives. So we have to be very, very very cognizant of things like that. And our job is to protect people when they're building their courses and, and, and help them understand that so they don't make that mistake.
0: Right now an interesting thing when we came into the room um, you, you actually had me put my hand on one of the, the mannequin's pulses right? And, and he did have a pulse and I thought okay that's interesting because there's a notion of haptic feedback which right now in virtual reality for example is absent in another mannequin you had me look with um, what's that called an echography ultrasound uh, ultrasound yeah. there you go mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a French speaker so no that's okay um, and then we saw you know the, the different things coming up on the monitor um, you even pulled blood out so there's really an element of touching and the, the texture and so on. And yeah. this is something I'm very interested in because we, we are in a high-tech world where everything seems to go virtual. And, and yet here in the middle of downtown in Pittsburgh, you have these rooms where you can actually, um, you know, touch things. Yeah. And yeah. How, how does that play, you think, in, in the whole virtual so,
1: world? So, you know, the, the trick to it all is this. At the end of the day, you still have to touch patients. So there are certain things that you can learn online, but in those things, the easy things are to learn how to, to understand how a disease manifests, to, to interpret lab data. You don't need to touch patients for that. But there are other times that you have to touch patients, and, um, and that's what centers like this are so important for, because this is where you do have a chance to put your hands on patients and do the things that you need to do to a real patient here. Um, so there should always be opportunities like this. Um, so uh, in, in medicine, there's a saying that says, see one, do one, teach one. Um, And what happens though, the first time, if you're a second year medical student and you're seeing a procedure for the first time, you probably don't know a whole heck of a lot of what what you're looking at. And then what happens to you afterwards is they say, okay, you've seen one, now it's time to do one. So wouldn't it be nice to have that medical student come down here, learn the procedure, and practice it a few times? So when they see it for the first time, they've actually done it. They understand what the procedure is. Then when they go to do one for the first time, it's not the first time they've actually done it. First time on a real patient, but not the first time they've done the procedure. So these types of labs, these centers that are all around the country, all around the world, um, are very important because people get a chance to put their hands on patients.
0: Great. So let me end by um, one last exploration, what I would say, which we've seen your center here, which is physical, people come to it, Mm -hmm. but you also do go to them. You go to hospitals. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience? How's that different? Why would someone choose one over the other?
1: So I'll give you an example of a program where we could not run here. So I'm the director of a program where we go into hospitals and take our simulators one of the ones that you examined that had pulses that looks like a, an adult male. Um, and we will take the simulator into an empty patient room or in the lobby or in a restroom, which is not my preference. Um, and we will call a medical emergency. I will grab one of the staff members and say, my dad stopped breathing, I need your help. And we examine their response to a medical crisis and they have to call the operator. The operator has to call the the response team. The response team has to run to the patient and they have to take care of the patient.
0: At what point do they realize this is a session? As soon
1: as they see him, they, they realize, don't. but they keep going because they are all aware that this is a, an assessment that needs to be done so we can improve our response. Okay. So the whole idea behind this is not just to trick them. The idea is run this session look at what happened and can we improve anything Mm -hmm. so that we couldn't do here because that you know I'm involving the hospital operator I'm involving the elevator system I'm involving pressing buttons on walls and and people getting their pages or not getting their pages in corners of hospitals that may not have coverage and all these things that you can find and and test which we can't do here Um, other times that we do it when within hospitals um is when it just makes it's just easier if we're training staff while they are on duty so if i want to go do a training session on a particular unit the staff can then the coverage can then be upgraded a little bit so people can come to training plus they'll take care of patients
0: very clever well thank you so much
1: you're welcome you're <laughs> welcome it was a pleasure
0: If you're interested in learning more about Wiser or reaching out to Tom Donjeli, we are including links in the show notes. Make sure to check those out.